Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. This is the show where we explore what's keeping the world from investing in progress, answer the questions on the minds of people in the know, and give you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that you desperately crave. On the last part of that, I'm Sloan Ortel. And I guess, I guess I'm on the first part of that. I'm yep, Ashby Monk. Yep. First and, things first. Uh, yep. And, and in, this, in this edition, we're going to teach you how the, the dirty world of sovereign wealth funds, which are often built on fossil fuel revenues, can be clean and green. That's right. Like, isn't the biggest one? Uh, well, I guess at this point, the biggest one is the is in Japan, which is not um, fossil fuels. But like, I know Norway's is all fossil fuels, right? Yeah. Well, it used to be called the Government Petroleum Fund, and then for marketing purposes, no, uh, for for brand, <laughs> truly branding, right? Like to build legitimacy internationally and domestically, they called it the uh, Government Pension Fund Global. And decided to use the assets to pay pensions, but the truth is, the pension moniker is just there for for branding. It, it's still the revenues are still from the the oil under the ground, and and many of these organizations around the world that get their oil out of the ground are are kind of paving the way around climate investing today, which has a bit of irony. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I, I've been working really hard uh, this week on the. Uh, you know, in part on a bunch of projects around the CFA Society of New York's uh, like asset owner and sustainability investing conference. Amazing. Uh, well, the irony of like throwing yourself against the wall unsustainably uh, for the greater good of sustainability is not lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've been I've hit that wall. I mean, you, you might you might have seen my imprint on it. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, don't yeah, give up no. though. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be done, right? And, you know, I've got, like, my flesh prison is not all that dear to me. Mm. Um, but, you know, like, there are all these big collaborative initiatives, like there's a zero carbon asset owner alliance. And I didn't even think to to go through the number of the funds that are involved in it and say, are these fu- are these from fossil fuels? You know, but like we were talking last time or a couple times ago about designing a, a fund from scratch, uh, to you know, with the the money that is made from selling Greenland, uh, right. to to avert climate change, um, and like it seems like people actually think that's possible. Would you agree? Sell climate change, or 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 sell Greenland, or or solve climate change. Which oh, one so, oh, solving climate change, <laughs> selling Greenland uh, is definitely possible. That's not hard yeah. at all. No, I think. Look, I mean, all kidding aside, I think it is possible. And, and if it's not, then we're screwed. So. <laughs> Um, better like to believe to, the latter. Yeah. Yeah. Like we may as well jump on and have the optimism that we're not going to, you know, leave this planet, um, because we have to, um, we're going to leave it because we want to, uh, look, the reason why those asset owner groups are so important, like the one you're working on is because those are the biggest pools of capital. So if we need trillions of dollars, you got to turn to them. That's where they are. And, uh, and they have the long time horizon. So, so be, there's really only two sets of, of actors in the financial ecosystem that give an F about climate change. Everybody else ge- couldn't give an F. They, they say they do, but the reality is it doesn't hit their bottom line. The two mm. are this. Those with exposures to the environment. So if you're in agriculture, boy, do you care about climate change. If you're in real estate, yeah, you care about climate change, especially if you're the terminal holder of the asset. Yep. If you're you know, building a, a wind farm, boy, you care if climate change is going to affect the wind patterns. 
So that's the first community, people with an exposure to the environment. And the second sort of like a direct direct involvement. In exactly. Yeah. Like you're a vineyard, uh, you're a, you make wine. Boy, that is important. The other one are people with long time horizons. So, so if you have a long time horizon, mm. you know, and, and climate change is real, which the scientists tell us it is over and over and over I've again, that. Uh, this week, in fact, um, then many of your assets are going to be vulnerable. And so the focus on the long-term investor community is about tapping into that second community, people that have 30, 40 year time horizons, liabilities that are coming due way out there and getting them to try to think creatively about solving it. Because if they don't solve it, then the assets they're holding will be worthless or they could be worthless. That's all TBD. Um, I, I was kind of, I, I'm kind of surprised that like, I mean, so, you know, the, like there's a situation I learned about a couple of days ago where, uh, this big institutional ingress investor group, I think it was like almost $10 trillion in assets, uh, tried to pass a shareholder referendum at Exxon. Hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of saying like, Hey, can you, uh, you know, would have urged the oil behemoth to adopt and disclose greenhouse gas emissions targets on its business and products in line with the Paris climate accord. Which is interesting because the Paris Climate Accord doesn't mention oil companies, but uh, the uh, you know the SEC is sort of like, well, um, shareholders are trying to impose specific methods for implementing complex policies, which I I think that's a standard. Is that a standard? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it, it's it's telling that the SEC did decided not to back the investors and instead chose to back back Exxon, right? That I think that yeah. was the outcome. So um I gosh, you'd love to think that the, these investors had the kind of influence over companies that 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 they need, you know. Mm. And and this this is the big challenge of our time. So investors flexing their muscle, using their corporate governance power to demand companies extend their time horizon and stop, you know, polluting to profit in the short run. Um, you know, for, I guess for every Exxon though, there's, uh, I feel like I just saw Mercedes say that they're done building combustion engines or they're, they're done researching combustion engines and they're kind of moving all their R and D budget into electric engines. So that's pretty rad. Yeah, that is pretty rad. That is, I mean, I'm a little sad the AMG engine is going to go away. <laughs> uh, but look, <laughs> I don't have, I just think those cool cars are cool. Um, <laughs> but look, you know, for the sake of the planet, uh, that's, that's pretty great. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I saw it like, uh, Duke energy, which is pretty, I'm pretty sure the actual dirtiest energy company in the United States in terms of total carbon emissions, uh, came out and said, it's going to be carbon neutral by 2050. It's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like the cynic in me wants to go ahead and say like, all right, this is all PR 2050 is a long ways away. Um, but you yeah, know, kind, uh, yeah, another part of me is like, what can I do about this? You know, like I'm not an asset owner. Right. Um, <laughs> like I imagine even like, I mean, these, you know, big asset owners are like a hundred trillion dollars, hundred trillion dollars, hundred billion dollars or whatever, you know, they can do something. Well, know? they have a hundred trillion. You're not, you're not wrong. They got a hundred trillion. I guess all together, if they all work together off the bat. Yeah if, they, yeah. if we can create a fiduciary standard, I mean, that's what I'm working on, right? Like, like yeah. I'm trying as much as I like the impact investment movement and, and people being like, dude, let's get $10 billion to go do something impactful. It's like, look, if we can change the way finance works, we can unlock trillions because there's, you know, 
hundred plus trillion dollars sitting in these organizations. So let's move the needle on the entire financial ecosystem and and we can tap into that. And so that's why I talk about well, what's your time horizon? You know, yep. how are you thinking about this? Um, but a big think part of an, it. Oh, oh, you go. Do you think it's an abrogation of like fiduciary duty if someone is not integrating ESG uh, sort of data, like environmental uh, information into the investment decisions that they're making? Are they, you know, can they? It's getting pretty themselves? close. It's, it's pretty getting close, pretty right? close. Oh yeah, like we're we're almost at the point where we can say. Oh, with like lots of evidence that taking these risks into consideration helps you generate higher risk adjusted returns yeah. because ultimately you're better understanding the risk that you're taking. And, uh, and so like, you know, I wrote a paper, um, a couple years ago where we showed that you could generate outperformance by investing in companies that, um, were better about the, the amount of carbon they used to produce similar goods than those companies that were bad. Yep. And and so we managed to show that you could outperform that way. And so the more papers that emerge that show that like commercial returns align with climate uh, preservation, that's the secret move to get the pension funds to do something. You just need to show that they can make money. Yep. The, the challenge I face is that there's still an insane amount of people that are pretending like climate change doesn't exist. You know, like, oh, I got to pay attention to this. This is the, you know. I think you and I were talking about it earlier. Like yeah. I, the, the tweets this week have been insane attacking this young girl, you know, don't go on Twitter.com. Like she's she's don't do it. It's like, it's not good for your health. Don't, should I not go on there? Twitter.com <laughs> is pretty tough to, to go on to. <laughs> I'm there's on a few things. The there's a few things going on. I am on the Twitter.com. Come look me up. <laughs> uh, but look, uh, the funny thing, like I, I just like, my eyes almost popped out of my head reading one where they all these people were accusing this girl of being in, you know, the religion of climate change and that, you know, she was kind of completely misinformed and didn't understand like what was happening. And and to me, it's like like the climate science is just grounded in so much um, methodology and ontology and theory that is like observable. You, yeah, you know, I, we can show you the, all the articles and where the data came from. Like my my understanding of religion is that it really is about belief. And that's not what we have with climate change. So to call this, you know, yeah. this little girl, like she's been captured by the religion and she's in a cult of climate change. You know, it's it's completely unfair. Climate change is science. I'm, it's yeah. And like, I mean, I I, you have to I believe think... in science, though. Is that the problem? Well, so, you know, I, I took a whole ton of religion class. Like, I went to a Jesuit school. Shout out to Fordham University. Uh, and, the, you know, was to graduate, Whoop. Y y they, they made us take, like, all these courses in, like, what's a religion? What's a... And mm. memory serves, um, I think, to be a religion in the academic sense, something needs to have creeds, right? Like, you know, documents that they believe in. Codes, as in, like, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, sets of understandings about what constitutes rights and wrong and community. Um, those are sort of the three C's of a religion. And like, if, you, if you apply that filter to climate change, right? Like, you know, wh what do we, what do we have? Do we have, you know, a creed in climate change is like science is real. Maybe, uh, you know, data is right. We can, we can interpret the data. Right. Uh, you know, um, but what's the code? Yeah. You know, what's the community? Like we're still, you know, building uh you know the baseline of connection in the uh, uh you know yeah exactly 
in general. We, we could kind of like to stay here. Yeah. I mean, I'm into That's it. That's interesting. The code. We got to see if we got to point it out that there's no code. Uh, just to give so all the people who like to deny climate change, let me just throw a bone your way, um, which I don't do very often. I, you know, I was thinking. Diplomatic um, of you. Isn't it? Isn't it? it? It all goes back to like preservation of resources, I think. And, yeah. and so the people who are denying climate change, like they, they just want the resources to flow in a different direction to the people who are believers. And, and, and it's, it's crass and it's political and it's not grounded in reality. And on the, on the right, there's the climate change deniers. And on the left, this is the equivalent in my mind. There are the people who claim that 8% expected returns in pension funds are legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't warn you about that one, did I? Shots fired. Yeah. I Shots love fired, it. right? Right. Yeah. But like, You're the, totally right, the, though. For the left, it's like, no, 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 no. We can make 8%. We don't have to like put more tax revenue in here. Yeah. Um, and that means we can fund schools and we can fill bottles and we can, you know, do all the things the governments do. Whereas if we actually said, you know what, 5.4% is probably the right expected return, like our states would blow up in terms of the budgets. It shocks well, me like, how grownups are all about pleasant fictions. You isn't know? it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so gross. It is. You know, it's it's this like tortured debate, like, okay, the climate change people are destroying our children's future the deniers i'm talking about mm. but the people who are pretending that seven and a half eight percent is going to work they're also consuming resources today that may need to be set aside to prevent you know a retirement catastrophe yeah and and so like it's all hard it's all hard but what drives me bananas is like the crass nature of it all like can't it, the thing i guess what i'm really trying to say is like climate change i hope is a science like yeah. the science of climate change comes out of NASA, comes out of, you know, the Scripps Institute of Oceanography, it comes out of Stanford University and the engineering school. Like we're collecting uh, yeah, data. Well, who trusts them, though? Well, apparently yeah. not enough people. Uh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think that it's like, you know, it's amazing how easy it is to disregard something that contradicts one of our priors. Right. Or that makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, you know, I mean, the politics of this right now is just astounding. You're watching it right now in real time where you have people being like, oh, our president needs to be impeached. And other people who are saying, did you see what Biden did? You know, it's yeah, like, exactly. are we all reading but the same emails, news? But her <laughs> emails. Uh, but like, you know, what about this idea that, you know, um, I mean, because, you know, I think I, there was a, you know, I, I do believe that there are, uh, you know, there's functional gray matter on the right. Uh, you know, and, uh, yeah. And like, the, you know, one of the arguments that I saw, uh, from someone I follow over the, over this week was like the U S and Europe are actually not, you know, net marginal contributors to climate change. Now it's all mm. emerging markets. Um, you know, and so the, they'll, they'll actually make the argument that it's in some way like r racist, uh, mm. or classist or so, you know, like, a um, you know, a kind of like we got ours now you can't get yours like pulling up the ladder behind us kind of move to oh, interesting yeah. uh, it, it, which is like i mean i i guess but like, yeah well you know yeah well then don't be a nationalist and shut down our borders <laughs> and you know prevent that that capitalism freedom to flow you know if, if you really believe that then let's follow it through because to me it doesn't seem like um, the arguments don't stack up there. I mean, but mm. on the right, there is a belief. I'm just like targeting our current administration, which has a lot of contradictions the in there. Yeah. 
in their philosophy of governing. But um, <laughs> very diplomatic, the, isn't it? Uh, I'm trying not to alienate anybody just yet. Give me time. Uh, but, Shout out to Steve. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think I think the whole climate change thing. It's like um, the way, I think I've explained this to you once before. Whether or not you believe in it or you don't believe in it, the world isn't that binary. Yeah. So, so there's probabilities that this is going to happen. And yep. you're probably like, even if you're an insane denier and you don't believe science is real and that we never went to the moon, right? You, and you believe there's like some cult on Mars. I think there are actual people who believe that today because um, Infowars talks about it. But so, so like if you're those people, like you're, you're probably not a hundred percent sure it's not real. You know, like you're probably yeah. 95% sure it's not real. And then you still, if you have 5% sure it's not real, there's a 5% chance in your brain that like the entire world gets screwed by climate change. You still should manage that. Like we should all be managing you know, it. You know, That reminds me so much. Do you know Pascal's Wager? I've heard of it. Remind me. Yeah. So not, uh, not playing the podcast works out imme- Im- immeasurably well yet again. Uh, so Pascal's wager, but you know, Blaise Pascal is a French mathematician. I forget the years he lived, um, but it was during the Enlightenment. And one of his kind of like conceits was that um, because you can't eliminate the possibility that God exists with absolute certainty, huh. uh, and the cost of not believing if God does exist, holy cow, <laughs> is immeasurably large, right? Uh, and Why aren't we he, talking about Pascal's wager to all the climate deniers who probably are incredibly religious? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what they really need is an effete transgender woman from Brooklyn to explain them how to think. Like, that's, that's I think. Uh, <laughs> Please insert amazing sound. Pew, 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 pew. Right after, <laughs> after you say that. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, they all need it. Uh, everyone oh. needs, you know, a, you know, a trans angel on their shoulder explaining. They how do. I do. I do. Yeah. I'm learning a lot. That's great. Pascal's <laughs> wager. Wonderful. Let's use that. I'm actually Google that and add that into my like speaking routine. Do it. Because, because yeah. I'm constantly talking about like that, hey, you know, the risk management approach, right? But like risk management requires that you understand risk management, you know? But but there's a lot of people who, who understand, re, you know, religion and um, theology that may not be in the world of risk. So that's a great analogy. Thank you for bringing it's, that It's so real. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure you could swap out the Greek alphabet for the Phoenician alphabet uh, in most risk management tools and no one would even notice. Totally. Uh, you know, yeah. like, it's it's not like, uh, I mean, and there's some, the definition of faith where there's like a level at which you sort of just can't permeate and you're yep. dealing with an absolute, you know, yeah. and like, we are all necessarily engaged in exercises of faith on all sorts of things, you know. It's true. Uh, in but fact, yeah, the, it's the, such a great the, metaphor. The discipline of economics is is based on so many um, faith based assumptions that it's astounding. You know, I mean, ca- but, capitalism itself is is um, based on faith. Rational actors, you know, efficient markets, and and others, which um, kind of build this kind of framework that allow us all to coordinate and 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 rise all boats but like the foundations are pretty dubious you know i i particularly love when you talk about economics i love applying faith to value investing um oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know, there you go in yeah. part just like because you know i mean like i 
like ran a product named after Ben Graham forever. Um, and like I have several like gold leafed copies of the freaking security analysis book. Yeah. Uh, Do you know that I, we named our, my next book, it was an, it's called the technologized investor, um, which was a riff on Ben Graham and the intelligent investor. And the cover is meant to be kind of, you know, simple and and similar. So that's punk rock. It It is punk. I mean, look, it's fully punk. Yeah. Just straight up punk right here. Fucking normcore. Uh, Like, should we try to should we try to call somebody about oh, this yeah. climate change thing? See yeah, if we get shit. a prank call. Good point. Good point. Good point. Yeah, like I, I mean, because we were gonna call a friend. I mean, like, so we were wondering earlier, like, okay, so you're not, uh, you know, one of these gigantor asset owners with like, you know, six dedicated people. Uh, you know, like you're you're one of the relatively impoverished in investment yeah. management. Like, you know, I mean, what what is what is that level? Like one billion dollars. Yeah, this is what you had. you said. Like, I think we were talking before the show, and you were like, "Well, what if you're not a hundred billion or yeah. one trillion? Like, what if you're five billion? What do you do about climate change? How do you actually do it?" And and it's like I have ideas, but you know, I'm let's lucky call a friend, to be advising. Let's, let's yeah, call let's a friend with a mere five billion. <laughs> yeah, well, it's up to seven billion now. But um, oh. let, let's see, let's see if he picks up. Who are we calling again? <laughs> and if he doesn't pick up, we'll leave him a very scary voicemail. Yeah, exactly. The earth is You're melting. The, <laughs> the earth is literally on fire. And what are you doing? What are you doing about it? What are you doing? What are you doing about it? Yeah. I really hope you're using renewable energy. Uh, yes. Um... Hey, Prabhu. This is Ashby Monk calling you. I'm hoping you're doing well. And uh, we're just going to talk to you about climate change, man, and see what you're doing with your $7 billion fund. Um, Yo. You can't call us back because we're a podcast (laughs) and we're doing it it live. (laughs) Yeah. But we love you. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. We were going to prank call you, but instead we decided to be nice. So. We'll catch up with you later. We'll get you on here next time. Bye. Bye. All right. So much for that. All right. We'll try it next time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, it's uh, it it all works. I mean, you know, these phones are buggy for uh, one reason or another. But, you know, I mean. Yeah. I was going to say when you did the. Oh, Oh, is that what time it is? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I have no control over that. I love it. It just happens after we call a friend. No. Uh, the it's like it's kind of fucked up actually. I should probably look at that. It's just the side effect of living. Let's in check Brooklyn. it out. Yeah. Um, but you know, that it's that that sound just uh, that we have no control over, uh, dear listener, means it's time for dear Ashby. Uh, I can't wait. Is, yeah, which is a segment where our listeners write in with questions uh, for Doctor Monk over here to discuss and for us to riff on for a little bit. Um, and the first I is ripped right from the headlines and is actually the amazing that's the topic on everyone's mind right now hbo's hit show succession did you watch that i told you to watch it i have not yet but it's on my list of things to watch because we're in a fight we're in a fight sorry Uh, that was just yesterday (laughs) you told me to watch that by the way (laughs) i I mean you had 24 hours um i did did. (laughs) well the show features a plot line where investors from a canadian pension fund 
are, I mean, the show basically it revolves around a media mogul and, uh, you know, their kind of children, their brood fighting for, you know, who takes over the company when, ah. when dad steps down. Um, right. And, you know, these are very gruff people with, you know, like very big drug problems and, you know, uh, like very big problems in general. Mm. Um, but a set of investors from a Canadian pension fund are the best at swearing out of everyone. And so, (laughs) really? Yeah. I mean, which like, it's amazing. It's a, it's not, I mean, like, I guess it's another export besides apologies. Right. Uh, I love it. What's the question? uh, Is this realistic? I thought Canadians were nice. Is this realistic? I thought Canadians are nice. We are nice. Come on. We're really nice. But here's, here's the reality. Um, you know, the, the finance industry in Canada has a huge anchor tenant that is the pension plans. They compensate mm. incredibly well. And and like you'll note, like if I ask you to go find like all the amazing private equity funds in Canada, yep. you won't find many. There's a few. Onyx, Brookfield, maybe a few others. But it's it, in large part because the pension funds compensate so well, they've they've kind of sucked the private um, private equity people into the quasi private public Canadian pension plan space. You know, they're crown corporations, but they're arm's length. And the boards of directors of those organizations set the compensation structure, which they pay out of the asset base. And that means that there's a lot of people at Canadian pension plans making a lot of money. And by a lot of money, I mean multi million dollar um, packages. Like football and coach so, money. Yeah, it's like football coach money. It's like almost football coach. Exactly. Thank you for raising that. Uh, and and so, you know, if, if you're used to hearing swearing at an investment bank, like, <laughs> trust me, the Canadian pension plans have a lot of people who used to work at Goldman and JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley and all the top places are now working for a pension plan because the Canadians, in my mind, have actually gotten the governance pretty right. They're, they're sort of saying, look, we can either pay some exorbitant amount of money out, you know, I should say outhouse, uh, <laughs> or we could, you know, bring it in house and, and do it ourselves. Well, nobody wants to go to the outhouse. Yep. Um, if it's cheaper Love to it. go in house. Yeah, Love this it. is great. We're just, this is all just happening live. Uh, and, and so, you know, there, that's a probably real, that's probably real. Yeah, you know, they are nice, but they're also type A personalities that are, you know, making millions of dollars and doing big deals. That's that's who they are. That's what I think of. Really highly competent professionals. Yep, who are yeah, nothing short of tough. I mean, the but like, you know, I mean, so I guess the key to governance if you want to be a good pension plan is to make room for creative swearing. It, it, I mean, say. every in every in every domain. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I I you, you know, the only people who tell me not to swear these days is my mother-in-law. Mm. Um, but other than that, swearing is a, a nice punctuation to make a point every once in a while. Yeah, exactly. Gosh, what's left? What's, um, what all else right. Here? So, um, I saw that someone tweeted candid and negative comments about a startup and then caught a ton of flack. I think someone actually got canceled off of twitter.com. Uh, Whoa. yeah. Like, I mean, someone was like, Hey, um, you know, this isn't that cool. I like, I forget what it was, uh, you know, but like this service is not amazing. And then people are like, how dare you attack this entrepreneur just trying to make the world a better place. Um, and, uh, and this listener asked, why is outward positivity such an entrenched norm in Silicon Valley startups? Huh? 
It's a, it, it, you know, I was going to give this person flack and, and say, gosh, I'm always surprised to find people who are surprised that people are faking it. <laughs> um, but, but the reality is, this is pretty, con- I mean, look, I, I don't know if this person comes out of the finance industry, but like, think of all, all the asset managers that pretend to make alpha. Think about oh, all the private yeah. equity managers that pre- pretend like they're in the top quartile. It is in their interest to find a way to tell you that they are generating alpha or that they, you know, they're in the top quartile. The famous paper by um, Ludo at Oxford, where he's like 76% of the private equity managers are top quartile, like that should tell you everything you need to know about the human species. I mean, at least like finance professionals. But, but Silicon Valley, for all their, you know, um, arguing that they're so different from, from Wall Street, and they, the notion that they're building value and doing all that, yeah, that, that's true. There is a, a much bigger focus on value. But that faking it till you make it is there. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the founders of companies and the venture capitalists I know are desperate to convey a strong and successful outward appearance. They want you to want access to their company as an investor, as a marketer, whatever it is. You want, they want you to feel lucky to get in. Yeah, because here in Silicon Valley, the more people that want in, the more people that want in, and and so the bad reputation if people sort of don't want in, that's a kiss of death. Yeah, you know, and and I'm not saying this is this is right, by the way. Like you know, we end up with Theranos and and WeWork and and other things where these amazing, compelling founders, you know, take it too far. Seems like um, with the, Theranos, we know she took it too far. That's my Halloween costume yeah. this year, by the way. I'm going to be Elizabeth Holmes for Halloween. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm really excited about it. But yeah, you're there's, saying- a lot to t- there's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I was a minor investor in that company because he came out of Stanford. You know? Oh, great. Good uh, for you. Yes. Wow. So I had a nice markup and then a nice markdown. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No, she was in our chemistry department. And, uh, and so I, you know, it was like... I was part of an investment club that invested, so I don't. I didn't have any personal exposure. I, I find um, her outrageously inspiring as a deep voice, as a woman who faked a deep voice to gain more yes. credibility. That's just so beautiful. But think about what she did. She capitalized on a network. She built a network around her. She conveyed secrecy, which gives people like an air of, um, you know, ooh, what's going on in there? Like, I bet you it's amazing. They wouldn't be this secret if it was that amazing. Look at the people around it. Like, yeah, you know, she failed. Because she was doing a technology that could that could kill you if you got it wrong, but I promise you, some people would have made it if it was a different industry, right? So, like, if you could raise that much capital and then deploy it into, I don't know, some kind of software business or something else, you would make it. There's yep. a lot of that. There's a lot of people who unfortunately bluff, fake it, and then make it because they raised enough capital. I mean, it's the same in private equity or hedge yeah. funds. You know, like I don't want to just throw Silicon Valley under the bus here. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a little thing I want to play for you here, Slum. It's one of my oh. favorite quotes of all time. This is a uh, this is a this uh, is a, is that a tape player you're holding? I, it, it's it's like a tape player. It's kind of <laughs> long. one second, Jerry. Just remember, it's not a lie. If you believe it, it's still a lie, but a lot of them do believe it. 
that's the thing. They start to drink their own Kool-Aid. You know, yeah. the founders start to believe they're going to change the world with their doggy Facebook, you know, and, and that it's going to bring joy and, and they'll start cultivating um, that outward belief. And that outward belief has a message that goes to investors. That outward belief has a message that goes to potential employees. But ultimately, that outward belief actually goes into your own brain. Yeah. And so you yourself are sort of surprised when the thing doesn't work. And, and like, you know, four years later, you're like, wait, that was a dog Facebook I was building. Jeepers. Um, I mean, Facebook for dogs would be great. Uh, you know, but like, hey, I, you're totally right. I mean, I, there's, I think, I don't, I've never seen sociology that kind of indicates that people want to be around people that no one else wants to be around. Yeah. That's why being yeah, a contrarian no. is so hard. What was the great quote? You know, I don't want to join a club that would have me or yep. whatever it was. Groucho. Mark, Groucho. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's that's like this. Um, and and the minute that like the community in Silicon Valley gets wind that you're not killing it, you know, yeah. because of the model here where you expect if you're in a venture fund and you're doing 50 investments, you expect 45 of them to muddle along or die. And five of them to crush it to the point where you return the whole fund. Yep. And sometimes only need one of them, right? And so if a company is having even tiny problems, you're out. You're out. Mm. They're used to cutting you off. They'll cut you off for less than that, you know? Yep. Um, they won't do your pro rata. And then if you're, you know, we talked about this last time. Like if your Series A investor doesn't do your Series B, it's the kiss of death. So, yep. yeah, so it leads to like, there's a lot of reasons why entrepreneurs are like militant about presenting a very positive image to the world. And and those yeah. are just a few of them. There's, there's others. But yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so I guess the lesson is never don't be killing it. Yeah. Always, always killing it. Mm. And the other one is always be raisin. That's what the other one I always hear founders uh, saying. Yep. 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 You're always like, if somebody wants to come and invest a bunch of money in your company, like open a note and take it because you don't know when the next crisis is coming. And too real. You, yeah, yeah. The next, there you yeah, go. your IPO window may be closing. Um, this last one is like, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, why is it called lipstick if you can still move your lips? Uh, the, it's, uh, wh why do we keep it's a call stick and it goes on your lips? <laughs> I mean, that yeah, one, but that but, seems yeah. obvious. <laughs> That's uh, great. That's great. Well, this is uh, why do we keep calling it a risk-free rate when there is no risk-free rate? Yeah. Well, uh, that's a very astute question, actually, because the risk-free rate was originally hypothetical. You know, it was, it was a modeling tool, theoretical tool. It was a hypothetical yeah. risk-free rate. And then you would base the risky assets off that risk-free rate. And, and you know, we just ended up saying that government bonds are the risk-free rate. But, you know, I mean, do we feel like our democracy is functioning so well that the U.S. is risk-free? It's, it's, it seems pretty you. AAA to me. I mean, I, you know. I, yeah, yeah. And how about, how's Europe going? You know, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll pay to lend to them. They're so risk-free. Exactly. Literally. There you go. Uh, and and so, yeah, the, this is this kind of came up earlier on, on the podcast. It's almost like we planned it, which we did not. Uh, these things are hypothetical and theoretical, and they end up powering tons of practical things in the real world. And, yep. and that's one of them. And so what else would we do? I don't know. We would ground truth, some sort of a sense of uncertainty and risk around assets and 
you know, try to build um, a pricing model that way for risks. But as it happens, we just kind of base it all off of, uh, you know, a government bond. And then we just build, you know, basis points above that. I mean, you see this everywhere. I'll pay you 100 bips above LIBOR. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all kind of top down rather than bottom up. Well, you know, it's kind of crazy, though, because like, you know, thinking about our earlier conversation about the climate, um, investors are so quick to say, oh, the data is not good enough. Um, you know, it's not consistent. We don't have enough history. We don't have enough uh, to really make decisions, you know, but are willing to base literal trillions of dollars of money markets off of a complete abstraction, which is has never been observable in real life. Uh, you know, it's the tyranny it's of accepted practice. It's unbelievable. Yes, it is. And, and so like, you want to have more mind blowing, like realizations, um, how many billion dollar decisions get made by spreadsheets with errors in them? Oh, like that I've seen them and I've found we've, so one of the big projects I'm doing is going in to like, try to model portfolios to help pension funds make long-term decisions. Seems so like the a good difference, idea. Yeah. Right. Like the difference between like, um, so you, you can you can imagine that everybody in in the portfolio world wants a Google map, right? They want to know where their portfolio is today. They want yep. to have their goals, where they're going, and then they want to know the best route. But the difference with um, a Google map is that it's at a single point in time. Like you don't really care where the traffic's going to be three weeks from now when you're going yep. somewhere. You just get in your car, you pull up the Google map, and if the bridge is closed, you go a different way, and Google map helps you get there. That's a very short-term perspective. Like mm. literally, it's today. Yep. Whereas a big long-term investor is making decisions for you know twenty years. I hope. How do they do that? Well, they have their portfolio today. They have their goals, and then they start creating all these capital market assumptions. Some of which we've been talking about: risk-free rate. What's the risk-free rate? Right. Yep. Um, we use those assumptions to drive a lot of the decision making we make about deals. But the difference with those assumptions is it's all future. Is the bridge going to be closed a year from now? It will be raining. What What's the world going to be like? And and so as we've gone in to try to help pension funds make that um, kind of Google map, like, you know, T plus 10 months or something, time like time 10 months from now, Google map, when you're going to drive somewhere, we've realized the way they do it is with these incredible spreadsheets with cash flow models and illiquidity and all this different stuff and different assumptions. And we've never found one that doesn't have a mistake of the 30 yeah. we've seen. All Even though 30. they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Oh, man, you, yeah, they're you so hit F9 cool. and it's like 20 minutes later, it's done calculating. And it's, it's the most amazing thing. It's like a living portfolio, you know, with 10,000 companies and a thousand funds and all the different stuff, but there's always an error. Yep. And yet these power billion dollar decisions. And so, you know, all of this stuff comes together to drive, you know, the investment industry and then capitalism. So getting the errors out, boy, that's a big, big part of fixing climate change or anything else. I remember at one point I, uh, I built a spreadsheet to backtest investment strategies. Um, and uh, I, you know, this is like the best error ever. Um, I configured it so that the algorithm knew what security prices were going to be at the next close and then made decisions on that basis. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I came up with some pretty good uh, backtested performance, uh, you know, until I caught it and got brought back down to earth. <laughs> Was that some tuition you paid there for some knowledge about algorithms? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was a uh, like it was kind of a I, I didn't caught, catch that the the thing the connection fl- uh, flared out. Well, oh, the con- I was just saying was it, I was assuming you lost money doing that, or you uh, might have lost a bit of money. And I was asking, was that the tuition you paid to uh, learn about algorithms? You know, actually, I I tend to lose money in much stupider ways. Uh, the, <laughs> that that wound up working fine because it was a pretty long term model that didn't make oh, there decisions. You go. Yeah, um, good. you know, so like if you don't build a lot of trading into your model, you can protect yourself, I think, in general from stupid, stupid mistakes like the ones I made. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I think that about does it for us today. We've solved some of the world's problems, not all. Um, but you ought to do something about the environment, dear listener, please. Please, 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 yeah. please. Earn our love. Earn our love, um, but we do love you. Bye. We'll, we'll, we'll call you out on. We'll call you out on the podcast if you solve climate change. Okay. Bye. <laughs>